the ball. It is caught. Randy Brooks. Randy Brooks got it for a two-pointer. And Notre Dame is out in front. 17-16. Lost the ball. The pass is spinning down. It's spinning down by Carroll. It's caught by Samaza. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Dawson Pope. Open receiver in the end zone. Touchdown. Notre Dame. Somehow the Irish did it. Out of the pack, 30, 35, goodbye, baby, at the 50, the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10, bye-bye, rocket touchdown, Irish. Tyree, whoa, can he get there, Tyree at the 30, 20, 10, touchdown, Yuri. Woo, 98, big ones. Zibikowski looking for a block. Touch to the right, to the 40. Gets a block, gets to the 45, 50. Up to the 45, 40, 30. One man to beat, 20, 15, 10. He's down to the five. Touchdown, Irish. Fighting Irish Faithful. Welcome to episode 57. Season 3, episode 5. This is the most excited I've been to podcast in probably since the spring um we are doing a show 100 percent about quarterbacks it's actually kind of rare because we prefer talking about running the football but tonight surprise surprise our quarterback that was announced tyler buckner is really good at running the football and he's also really good at passing the football but we just haven't seen it yet um, so let's do this. Welcome everyone. This is the Fighting Irish Faithful Show. We can find me on Twitter at Faithful underscore Irish, Spotify, iTunes, even YouTube, Fighting Irish Faithful with all 53 subscribers if I even have that. That's okay. And I am joined by my brother at Red Snapper 9098 Remote. He is flying at 30,000 feet. Not quite in an F-14 Tomcat, but uh, what do you drive, a Buick? A Buick LeSabre? Of course, the 1990 Buick LeSabre. 1990 Blanche. Buick LeSabre. Blanche. It's a Golden Girl, Golden Girls reference right there. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> She's classic and sexy. Classic and sexy, just like the F-14 Tomcat. Um, and actually coincidentally and i I would have done this even regardless of uh what's about to happen uh this week uh but apparently top gun 2 is uh returning uh i think going streaming uh this week i actually never saw it that's what happens when you have a baby you haven't seen it and so i'm like resisting okay spoiler alert no i know and i even like told the doc i was like maybe we should just buy it like without even seeing it because i hear it's amazing like and so Maybe if we get enough peer pressure, we'll do that. But I'm also old school. I like actually physically buying stuff like CDs and records and Blu-rays. So I would second that move. Actually, totally uh, purchase worthy. I like holding stuff. Okay, that that's um, call me materialistic. All right, whatever. Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about uh, Top Gun or Tom Cruise or even F-14 Tomcats, but we are going to talk about a quarterback who is uh, dangerous red snapper that is uh kind of i think i think people are nervous with buckner being our quarterback this season um i think there's a lot of questions that were not answered last year he was highly rated as far as recruiting goes he was recruited by stanford by usc 
and by Alabama. So if Nick Saban thought he was worth a crap and he just got, you know, $90 billion or whatever the heck, you know, his contract was just extended, I think today or yesterday by Alabama till 2030. The point I'm making is Nick Saban thought he was worth a darn and, you know, look at them. So, so for anyone who's, who says, oh, he's worth nothing or he is talent or who he played against in high school that's irrelevant because he was recruited by the elite of the elites and he's not stupid but anyway definitely will uh second the anxiety for tb12 i don't know if it's concern i i have a lot of faith especially after hearing that um but definitely just kind of want to want to see the the proof in the pudding i want to see him you know take first team snaps for an extended you know multiple series drive down you know the field and punch it in with the team at his helm i feel like like buckner is like if you're you're at the poker table right you know you're you're doing your, you know, your bets and, you know, you're playing the blinds, right? And, you know, you kind of do a little raise or something, but you never go all in, right? With, and that was Buckner last year. It's like, okay, we're just going to do like minimum bet and just kind of just keep playing at the table. We're having fun, but you never really win anything big. And at the end of the day, the house kind of wins and takes you away because you never bet big, right? I feel like, now and we're going to have more casino references as we get closer and closer to the shamrock series game in vegas right what i feel with buckner is we're actually marcus freeman tommy reese the team and quite frankly the fan base should be going all in pushing all your chips into the middle of the table and saying i'm confident in my my hand you, the other player, this is not a bluff. I am confident that I've got the best hand on the table right now. And with this hand, with this money, this confidence, we are backing this. And we're going to ride and die with Tyler Buckner this season. Now, I don't think we will be crashing or burning uh, with him. I do think that he is Maverick. He has the explosive ability He's wicked fast, and the l- let me let me back up. We have seen so much RPO out of Reese as our offensive coordinator. Anything from when he first was officially handed the keys to the car in the Iowa State game to where he is, um, you know, at the end of last season. All that stuff in between. He is an RPO guy, and we said last season that Buckner. For RPO style offense was far superior than Cone. Grant, there was some experience, some leadership, and a few other Kelly fingerprints going on here, and that's that's probably insult one to Kelly of tonight, one of our uh, traditions. But uh, the ability for explosive plays, the ability for Buckner to just dial it up to eleven and just be elusive. Um, I was watching highlights of him. And he was stiff arming people. And, you know, there's that one pass that he is kind of a floater to Tyree that ended up being a touchdown. It was, I think, his first passing touchdown he threw last season. He has potential, and we saw sparks and we saw elements of that. No, absolutely. And I'm going to go back to, I forget what episode it was, but it was analyzing the spring game buffet of not 
this previous April, but the previous year before that, where you said statistically Buckner should be anointed the QB one. And I think we all just are kind of frothing at the mouth with excitement because now it actually is happening. He is the QB one. It's his team. It's his offense. And just pair that with exactly what you just said, uh, Reese's propensity to the RPO and to finally have a quarterback that can run a run pass option offense where equal are a threat. I think that absolutely is a big deal. Do you think because Buckner is so explosive that they're going to lean on him more? Or do you think that people are nervous because he's so explosive that he's going to get himself injured? What's your thought on that? I think that's where this offseason and conditioning, workouts, all of that is gonna is gonna be the, the tail of the tape. So I I get with them being cautious, making sure he heals from his foot injury, which is why he didn't play in the, the spring game, you know, barring all conspiracy. So we theories. were told. <laughs> you know, exactly. But uh, I, I'm I'm excited to see what it is. I mean the, the other benefit is he stand in the offensive line, you know, obviously he's going to have to be smart when he's out of the pocket scrambling. He can't, you know, pull a, a RG three and just take hits along the sideline. So he's going to definitely have to slide and be smart with the ball. But at the same time, he does, you know, show a very unique threat being able to run. So, if he, he's used to it. He did it in high school. He did it all last year. And I think that's actually going to play in our favor because all the film on him is him running the ball. There's yeah. very little film of him passing the ball, which give him a good offensive line, give him time in the pocket. Let's see the cannon, you know, that he has that everybody's talked about. So, Absolutely. Do you know how many passing attempts he had last year? Let me put it this way. Over or under 40? I think last episode you said it was 33? Very close. 35. He had 35 flipping passing attempts last year. That's just attempts. It's not even completions. Um, he had 21 completions for a 60% percentage. So so that, that kind of makes people nervous because they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not very good. 60%. And those people would be 100% right. Um, you know, on average, the quarterbacks that hold up the you know big gold trophy at the end of the year, they're throwing sixty-seven percent, right? Um, and if we look at you know Stenson Bennett, the current you know national champion quarterback, he threw sixty-four, right? And he's he's nothing to, he's certainly not you know JV squad, you know. I mean, he plays at Georgia, right? Respect, but it's like you know he also is not Matt Leinart, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, so I'm gonna get into uh, the toast of the night as Five Foot Nothing Pod comes on, uh, and we're gonna invite him to speak. The toast of the night, uh, surprise, surprise, is gonna be Tyler Buckner. Wow! And uh, to celebrate this moment, uh, Costco, our unofficial sponsor, started carrying Isla Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. And it's the Kirkland like brand, right? So I saw it, had to buy it. So I wasn't gonna originally 
get another whiskey this week, but I was like, oh, God is telling me something by this. So, <laughs> and, and, and I'm not, I haven't list, you know, had a crazy amount of scotch in my life as far as like varieties, but, um, I have been to Isla and anyone who knows anything about scotch, the Isla whiskeys are smoky, they're peaty, and it was a fantastic trip the doc and I took while we were expats uh, overseas. And we're like, hey, let's go to Scotland. Let's go to this small little island and drink whiskey. And it was a great, great vacation. So so Isla has kind of a special place for us in this house. Um, and so when I saw it, I I sent a text to the doc. I'm like, hey, check this out. And she's like, oh, did you buy it? And I'm like, of course, right? <laughs> so and then and then we're then we're trying to like like scour reddit and other like websites like okay where is this actually from right like there's only eight distilleries you know on the island so um we've pretty much eliminated ardbeg lafroid and lagavulin just because we know exactly what those taste like and those are our um four of our favorites it's i don't also don't think it's bamore um which is one of my favorites as well but you know hey Okay, enough about Scotch. Uh, the toast is to Buckner tonight. So, five foot nothing pod. If you want to join, you are invited to speak. Maybe you're maybe you're working. You're playing with the kids. You're coaching. Um, you're doing a third base coach thing right now with with the boys. Who knows? But uh, with your AirPods in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Unmute yourself, Mike. Hit the pink button. I thought I unmuted myself. What's up? Hey, man. Welcome back. Five foot nothing pod. Welcome, what is up? welcome back to the Fighting Irish Faithful show. What's up, boys? I'm just finishing dinner. Just got back from baseball practice. Uh, what, what's not going on? <laughs> well, we are. What's not going on tonight is we are not talking about defense. We are not talking about. Uh, kickers um and we're we'll do a little brian kelly bashing but we're really not going to talk about him either uh we are getting buck wild as the title says so we're going to talk all about tyler buckner and uh, we've already stopped, started talking a little and if you missed the intro um we had a little bit of uh, uh top gun ish music uh to lead us in because um word on the street is that buckner is dangerous is he maverick five foot nothing uh, is he maverick? I, is he dangerous? I don't know. Well, he's definitely not Iceman. <clears throat> I, I like literally. I don't. I don't know. Uh, and I'm only saying. Have you seen Top Gun? Like, like we need to maybe set some, establish some priorities here. <laughs> no, no, hundred percent. Okay, I'm just, I'm just saying. Okay. And I'm just, I'm wondering. Uh, I don't know if we've seen enough. Uh, I, I'm. I'm I'm taking this way, way more literal than you probably anticipated, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if we've seen enough to know if he's he's got the uh, Maverick, the Maverick gene, like just the you know uh, you know peeing of the wind, you know that type of mentality. You know, I have seen Buckner, you know, throw on the brakes and let people fly by as you know he's running. That's right. I just I, I don't I don't know I I want to say that he is he buzzing actually... the tower? Exactly I don't know is he? I don't. I, don't I mean he's... let's face it, I'm sure Pete Mitchell had more than thirty five you know uh you know 
flights in in an F14 in in the in the in the movie before he was invited to go to Miramar, okay? Um Buckner has only thrown the ball in a Notre Dame football game 35 times. Well, that's exactly my point is I don't know is is he going to be uh you know, I, I try don't take this in the way I'm trying to say it, but is he Peyton Manning where he's more methodical and brainiac or is he more uh, Brett Favre and just, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to put it in perspective, he had 81, I guess, impact plays last year, and that's 35 passing attempts and 46 rushing attempts. So then if we take the percentage of his plays that he was impactful for, just attempts, not even completions, but his attempts and the percentage of them that he was actually in for to throw, it's less than 50%. It's 43%. That's, that's some math I just did right there on the fly. Um, and but, but if you think about it, that, that's, that's, that's not a surprise to us. You know, he's in for over 80 plays as the quarterback to actually come in and make a difference. You know, and if I was really savvy, I could, you know, figure out where Ian book was or, you know, Brandon Wimbush or some of these other guys, because Wimbush, like, let's talk about that. Wimbush was very dynamic with his legs, right. In 2017. And a lot of that success of that team from rushing the ball was because of him. Wasn't necessarily because of his ability to throw. But what I will say is that, okay, does that mean that Buckner and, and our concern about him and probably Reese's propensity to throw the ball on top of the fact that we've now established very clearly that passing touchdowns is the second most important thing, so we kind of have to do it if we want to be any sort of success. But when you only throw the ball 35 times, but when Kelly puts you into the football game to rush for 46 times... The operative word in that sentence was when Kelly put you in. Sure, because he was he was the he was the, the puppet master, right? You know, he's he's dangling the strings, right? But he's gone now, so you know, and, and running lazy ass practices down in Louisiana in the Bayou, Bayou Brian, right? So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's so many questions about Buckner from last season. And I think the the timeliness of when he came in and everything was just so predictable when he came in, like, oh, he's coming in, he's going to run, right? You, yeah. you didn't give him a fair shake. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Real, real quick, can you hear me better or worse than what I was? I hooked up my mic to my phone. Does that sound a lot better? I think you sound more crisp. Okay, cool. We'll go with um, that. Yeah. Sound check. So, uh, the, yeah, right? <laughs> Better late than never. Check one, check um, two. No, so the whole Buckner thing, like, people, oh, we don't have a quarterback. You, he's the, he sucks. He's this, he's that. And I'm like, I don't think anybody can say he's good, bad, or otherwise. What, what frame of reference do you have? Like, honestly. Who says he and, sucks? What's that? Who says and he that's, sucks? That's exactly what I oh, uh, the, the Notre Dame haters. I'm not yeah. Oh, oh, like Ohio State fans? Yeah. Oh, those people yeah. are illogical. They think we're going to lose, like, by 50 no. points. No, I know, but but to, to their point, 
it, it, not their point, but just like no, I hear you. Buckner sucks. You know, Buckner's great, and they could say the same thing we could say back to them. How do you know? How they've do you got, know? They've you got CJ Stroud, who's pretty pretty fucking good. So I mean. <laughs> I'm not saying they're wrong or they're right. I'm just saying like their means of comparison is like, you know, they're eating caviar here and we're just like, you know, happy with, you know, a Jimmy John sandwich card. And not that Tyler Buckner's Jimmy John's, but you know what I mean? Like, like they're, they're having prime rib steak with a really good quarterback in their backfield. Right. And, you know, Buckner, we, we just don't know because we've never been invited to the restaurant. Right, we can't get a reservation at the table. So, I don't know. The um, coach Parsegian is here. Uh, we've invited him to to chime in. We're just gonna bring everyone on when they come on. But yeah, um, that's kind of where we're at. You know, are we uh, are we gonna are we doomed for success? Five foot nothing pod, or you know, are we gonna we're gonna ride home to victory here? Oh, I think we lost five foot nothing. I don't know what happened here. I think he, he mute, muted himself. No, no, I. I oh, I, you're back. I, actually, I think he fell off and lost connection, and yeah. now he's back. I disconnected myself. Somehow. He went inverted. Uh, yeah. No. So I, I think just because of what he's capable of, we are more than in line to be successful. I don't think we're doomed at all. Uh, I do think you're going to see stuff that it's still young, but like, okay. What I want to see in Ohio state is an aggressive yet safe decision-making. Um, I, I don't want to see him go full Brett Favre, full Maverick just yet only because I don't know if that's the game to Pull that out of the bag. I don't think that. I don't think Ohio State uh, flyby. I don't think that's the the, the tower game. You know? Let's save that. Yeah, we're definitely uh, fighting some MIGs. Yeah, it's, these are not Iranian MIGs. These are like Russian MIGs. I just think his ability to to move and his athleticism is going to be a absolute and clear difference, and that's just something. We haven't had because he's got the arm, which Buck did. Oops. Buck didn't have the arm. Cone didn't have the legs. Now we got the quarterback with both. I mean, he does have both. I intend to prove that tonight. He has the tools in the toolbox. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've been a little stat light uh, tonight. Um, Coach Parsegian's on. Um, coach, you've been invited to speak. If I recall from last week, uh, Coach Parsegian asked me a question. Um, and I don't know how this came up in the conversation, but I wrote it down and I made sure to take care of it. Coach, do you recall your question for me from last week? Um, I'm sorry, repeat that one more time. It cut out. Oh, I'm sorry about that. You asked a question at the end of last episode. You oh, said you oh, wanted yeah. to know why something happened. Yeah, why are you blocked on Twitter by the new ND network? <laughs> All right, so I had to go back and 
uh, retrace my steps here on that one. So it goes back to, so first and foremost, I have no beef personally with TNNDN. Um, they, they are nice people, but I wouldn't know anymore because I'm blocked on their Twitter feed. And I, quite frankly, I don't even know if they even exist anymore, but that that's, you know, respect. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that what happened was in 2019 when we got our ass kicked by Michigan at Michigan. Okay. Everyone was clearly not happy. I was not happy. And TNNDN made a comment to the effect on Twitter, like, well, the sun's coming up and everything's going to be okay. And it's really not that bad, everyone. And da, 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 da. And I'm like, no, F that. It wasn't even really kissing BK's ass. I think they were just like, look, look, have perspective on your life. And it's like, look, hold on a second. We, I am adequately compartmentalizing my personal life and my family life and all those other actual important things to the, this pot that's exploding of the football team I root for. Okay. And so I was pissed. And I think any Notre Dame fan should rightfully be pissed after every time there's a big fucking game on the road at night, Brian Kelly shits the bed and we lose by over 30 points because previous season it happened against Miami, which was not a fun experience. Okay. And then sure enough, and it, it hurts even more that it's Michigan, a team we all hate. Point being is I fired back on Twitter, quote, you do not want excellence, end quote. And because of that, I was blocked by them. <laughs> now, maybe I struck a nerve because they do want excellence, but they just don't know how to express it in a, um, I don't know, non-aggressive way or whatever, like like me, who knows? But that is, I, I can only come to the conclusion that that expression of me claiming they do not want excellence is what got me blocked by TNNDN. Well, I know that night I made a lot of enemies. I made a lot of enemies with the Northwestern the, with the Clemson rematch. Oh. In 2020 with the Alabama rematch that same year in the playoff. Just because it's like this is Brian Kelly's MO in the big, huge, high-profile games. And people just constantly on Twitter, this is the best we've ever been. Like, look at It's the same arguments from people that just constantly defended Kelly and defended how many games we'd win a year and how we hadn't done it with Holtz. And it's just like, but where's the results? You know, it's really interesting. I, I saw a... Um, a post on Twitter, and I don't know who it was, but it was pure truth, and it sounds like something I would post if I was really negative. And it was every big game that Notre Dame had lost, you know, anything from playoff games to bowl games uh, to that Michigan game, the Miami game, right? Every single game back that was a big game that we lost since 1994. And it was really, really painful to read. And it's just like this Whoever posted this is not wrong. Everything that's there is is fact. And not that we want to be negative about Kelly and the state of the program since 1994. That's not what I'm talking about, you know, but because it's related to this TNNDN situation with me. But it's like, look, I, I come on this show 
and I provide some data to say, look, I think these are our only problems. If we address some of these things about, you know, a, a balanced offense, about scoring touchdowns, about, you know, being good on scoring defense and things of that nature and being very analytical, not just like saying our recruiting needs to get better. Like, yeah, it can always get better, right? And we always want to be number one. But look, if a recruit chooses to go to Alabama, for example, there's not a whole lot we can do about that, especially to a coach who just got a huge contract extension. So it's like, like, what do you do there? Like that that's outside of your immediate control, right? And us as fans, there's, we really have no control, but I'm the one behind the microphone here and the one looking up spreadsheets and data and shit and saying, look, check this shit out. This is, I think what we can do. Yeah. The, the post you're talking about was big game boomer. Um, who is the, uh, the list guy. He just makes lists. Now, most of them are wrong. Well, most of them are. In fact, if uh, I'm going to come back to the one he just made about Notre Dame and their top 10 losses since 94 and all that. But he made one that said uh, it was the percentage of fans of a certain, you know, of said school that actually attended the school. (laughs) And for 0.01% of fans of Notre Dame actually attended the school. Obviously, that's a joke. Right. Because someone took it to the fullest and said, okay, fine, I'll buy in. If 0.01% of all Notre Dame fans didn't actually attend the school, and, you know, he calculated, I think it was like 150,000 graduates historically for Notre Dame, um, and assumed all 150,000 of them are fans. Right. Basically, the math ends up being that there's 1.3 billion Notre Dame fans in the world oh wow 60 percent of the world's population is Notre Dame fans <laughs> <laughs> but uh but, anyway, but so, so he does nice. stuff like that yeah he does stuff like that and it's obviously there's there's some like tongue-in-cheek stuff going on right but then you guys to be serious and put out Notre Dame hasn't won a top 10 matchup or not that it hasn't won but the the list of losses against top 10 teams since 94 is quite extensive it is 36, 36 to be exact, yeah. and then you get people. Then you get people like, "What about Clemson in 2020? What mm. about uh, Oklahoma in 2012?" And I'm like, mm. "The problem. You're not wrong, but how is that helping our argument? The two that we can think of are eight years apart." Well, and and quite frankly, the the impact of both of those plays, like like I do believe that the Oklahoma game is why like. Manti Teo got Heisman talk, you know, we don't have to really talk about Manti Teo and that whole documentary, which just came out, which I did watch, which was really well done. Um, I don't really want to talk about too much tonight, but I do think that his performance, that crazy interception and his big sack in that Oklahoma game is really what can, you know, got him into the Heisman talk with the media and among all the other things that was happening allegedly in his personal life. Um, the Clemson game was awesome. We did a post game show on that. It was it was fantastic. That was before I was live on Twitter, and that was a great game. That was a really good football experience, you know. And but the impact of those games, right? Like, okay, we won. That's awesome. We feel good as Notre Dame fans with a huge win. But it's like, then what? And and well, here's my takeaway from that list. Okay, for, by the way, uh, during that same stretch, 
we won we won eleven top ten. Uh, I say top ten matchups, but we beat eleven top ten since ninety four. Okay, but my takeaway was from like ninety seven to twenty twelve. I, I feel like uh, we were playing top ten teams, but we kind of top ten program ourselves. No. No, so, we kind of thought we were under Weiss, but said like uh, pull up, I don't know uh, Arkansas or Vanderbilt or just any lower level SEC team. What is their record against top ten teams? Right. Well, if you're not a top team yourself, that's not really fair. But there were a couple moments like uh, the O one Fiesta Bowl. The 07 Sugar Bowl. Uh, I'm missing another. Uh, the 20, was it 15 Fiesta Bowl? Or Ohio State? Yep, us? 2015. Uh, I'm, I'm just p- picking up. I think those, like specifically the 01 Fiesta Bowl and 07 Sugar Bowl, specifically, that was more about we're Notre Dame as opposed to we deserve to be there. I hate to say that, but I did the research like third episode of my show. I went, I was like, is no name overrated? And the only time I came to the conclusion that we were somewhat overrated was we were gifted these bowl games that we probably shouldn't have been, which is probably got our ass handed to it. Yeah. I, I think in 2006, that season, I think that one is was really like, ooh, I don't know about this. I mean, we feel good. We like, you know... Brady Quinn's kind of having a, a you know Heisman level year, but yeah, then you go into that bowl game and that was not fun at all. I was there. It was forty-one to fourteen. I'm sorry. We're going to the game, and I wish if I had some sad music, I'd play it right now. I only have like epic, exciting music. So. That game is why I hate, and I hate to hate. I use the word hate, but I hate LSU fans. I hate what they're about. I just they're, oh yeah, they're, they're terrible. They're a whole other level of go fuck yourself. They really are. Um, but th- those games should we have been there? Eh, probably not. But we're Notre Dame. We're going to put butts in the seats, obviously. But 2012 sure. to now, it is not our fault that we played generationally insanely talented teams, like. Any, I don't, I don't care if it was Notre Dame. I don't care if it was Michigan. I don't care if it was USC. Pick, pick any team that you think that hates us. Put them in that chair and tell me they weren't losing to Alabama in 2012. Tell me right. they weren't losing in 2018. Like, the only, on. the only team I would, I would suggest in 2012, and and I'm sure some of you guys know this, um, that I think would have, I think it would have been a different story. Was actually Ohio State in 2012 because recall they were that was the first year they had urban meyer but they were in a postseason ban from the trestle era that's right and so they actually went undefeated and um and you know unlike notre dame that puts up undefeated season false propaganda in the goog ohio state does the same thing in their practice facility for the 2012 season. Now, granted, it doesn't really mean anything in the grander scheme of college football, but that's because of their past sins. But let's pretend that that didn't happen and they were allowed into a bowl game. I genuinely feel that 
Ohio State would have been number one and Notre Dame would have been number two. And we still would have gone to the, the BCS game. Now, would we have beaten them? That's that's a different story, right? We have to go through and look at some numbers. Um, but regardless, the um, that's the only other team in 2012 um, that I think could have made an impact. And I'm really glad that you brought up 2012 because there is a comparison I want to do tonight about a specific quarterback from that year, but we will we'll put that one on the shelf. So if, uh, if anyone's joining us, uh, I think, who's that? Is that Justin? The, the manliest man with the manliest beard who can drink whiskey like no one else. Irish JTL has been invited to speak. Kevin, if you want to speak, jump on in. Talking to Red Snapper, Eric Arcegian, and Five Foot Nothing. And we are having a good old time tonight, and we're getting buck wild. We do want to talk about Tyler Buckner more, so we will move in that direction. One thing that I've seen way too much in at the end of last season and even in the spring and pretty much through halfway through the summer, but that kind of quieted down after the spring game when Drew Pine didn't look too good in the spring game. And I wanted to look at Drew Pine versus Buckner and kind of compare them side by side. And it's kind of hard to do that because they don't really have a good sample size between the two of them. But we can, we'll do what we can with the stats and the data we have. First off, for the season, Drew Pine was 15 of 30. He had 224 yards, averaging 7.5 yards per pass, and threw for two touchdowns. With, when if you do the math, that's about 15 attempts for every touchdown that he has, which isn't too bad. Every time, every 15 times, he throws the ball. There's a touchdown. Now, it's not national championship good. National champions, on average, throw 12 times for every touchdown. But listen to this. Tyler Buckner, last year, his stats are a little different, but he threw 11.6 attempts per touchdown. That's better than the national champion average of 12. For 35 attempts, 21 completions, and three touchdowns. Now, unfortunately, Buckner has also three interceptions, and that one in the Cincinnati game was absolutely terrible. And I think he also had one in Virginia Tech as well, and I, I can't remember the third. So the sample size for both of them is slow, or excuse me, is low. Pine is slow compared to Buckner, too. And I think the opportunity of explosiveness and basically the defense has to take him serious versus Pine. I think with Pine, and we saw this in the spring game, if he's in, and that's not to criticize him, uh, you know, we don't know what we're going to get with him. But what I will say is this, Pine was third string quarterback. There was a reason for that. We're not at practice unless someone else here has, you know, some insider uh, scoop Red Snapper, who was it after the spring game? It was uh, ND Prime, and we I, th I think we went on the conspiracy theory that he might have been 
uh, a player that was had some burner account. I don't know. I don't remember. But uh, he was third string. And there's a reason why he was the third string. So, so that's, that's really interesting when you, when you compare them side by side. And I mean, let's face it, spring game, he didn't look too good. And Jelly looked better, right? You know, he threw multiple picks. He did not have any rhythm. He had happy feet just running around with his head cut off. And it's just like, dude, what are you doing? So, so that's kind of, I think, the negative side of things with Drew Pine. Now, the positive unless someone wants to interrupt and, and chime in on, on all that. Well, all I'm going to say is I don't, I, I don't disagree with the pine take. I don't know that I'd say Angeli was better. Statistically, he was better, but it's all relative. What was the competition level when pine was in the game versus when Angeli was in the game? You have to, you have to kind of take that into account in the whole equation. Yeah, my, my response to the spring game, and, and the, don't get me wrong, the spring game is a glorified practice, right? And so yeah. you don't even know, like, how serious, quote unquote, do you take it? Like, yeah, I, I said, well, we can't can't put a whole lot of stock in Pine because he didn't look good in the spring game. But can I put a whole lot of stock in the spring game? You're you're 100 right. I'm you know, call me out. That's 100 percent correct. So, please do. Hey guys, um, you know, I think, uh, what you said Introduce yourself. Cool. Welcome to the Fighting Irish Faithful Show. This is, is this your first time joining in? It is, it is. Usually it's on weeknights, but, uh, I had a job interview, um, with a potential candidate tonight, so I had her for drinks, and I'm up drinking, and gonna jump in. Did you get the job? Uh, I think what you said just a little bit ago is Pine was... QB3 for a reason, and that, that in itself is glaring because Kelly was super, super loyal to upperclassmen, and the fact that he had Faulkner on the 2D instead of 3, is, that's glaring, and we we know what Faulkner did his junior year, it sucks that he didn't play his senior year, but I think, I think in my opinion, the... The distance between Angeli and Pine is probably a hundred times as close as the distance between Pine and Buckner. And if it's not, I think we're in a little bit of trouble. But I, I believe that Angeli and Pine are much closer than Pine and Buckner. Yeah, I, I think that that's a valid point you make, and, and thank you for bringing that up. You know, and, and, and we kind of talked about that a little at the beginning of the show where you know, are we concerned about Buckner because he is so explosive and he is so quick and he's so elusive? Are we worried he's going to get hurt? And so it's like, well, we kind of like want to hold him back because we don't want him to get hurt. Because if he gets hurt, then it's like, okay, now we got Pine and Jelly. What do we do right now? If you want my opinion, I'll say, you know, uh, you know, put in Angeli. Now that won't be the response of MJV84 because she's like, well, which one's from Ohio uh, or Cleveland or, or, I mean, none of them play for the Browns yet. So welcome back MJV84. Um, but, but that's my point, right? Like we shouldn't be, a f- it's, it's kind of like special teams, right? You don't just fair catch every punt because you're afraid you're going to fumble it on the return. No, you need Joey Getherall back there or, 
you know, Greg Bryant or whoever, because you need someone explosive. You need to return punts. Ergo, you need the athlete out there, you know, the Johnny Manziel-ish guy at quarterback, because if it's not there and you have nothing but grass in front of you, run the damn ball, right? All right, getting hot, getting heavy. It's a great comparison because we're in a wide receiver and running back. So we just, you know, Notre Dame Freeman just said Brandon Joseph would be returning punts if we started today. I don't think we can afford an injury at DB, wide receiver, or running back. So if we're going to take the mentality that we need an explosive guy back there and it's Brandon Joseph, even though we can't afford that injury, then using Buckner's strength in his legs when he's rattled or to get him to calm down and back into a game has to be the mentality. We can't be afraid of injuries. We have to go out and put our explosive players in position to make plays. I mean, and that, that's not a bad point you're making there about, you know, you don't want someone getting hurt on special teams, but I'll be honest with you, and, and if someone knows this, by all means, please please chime in and, and set me straight. I don't know, like, where is the data that shows that players on average get hurt more on special teams? Like, like I'm, I'm, I've seen that seriously, not, not as a zinger. Like, is that genuinely a thing? Kevin, you're a coach. I want to hear from Kevin. You're putting you're putting him out for another play in a position that he doesn't play. I I would liken it to. But then why even play games, right? Let's let Kevin chime in. He's a coach. We're talking about not the 2019 90s era. Then yeah, and special teams. A lot of people get hurt. I mean, you could set a wedge and people could blow it up. But the rules have changed so much. All you see is fair catches down. You see people marking the ball uh, down in the ball. There's not really much returning or anything happening on right. teams anymore. So the potential of him really getting hurt is pretty low. But also, I think as safety, I think we'll be okay. Let's say he did get hurt. Perfectly. Let's not even put that in the atmosphere. But I think there are some safeties there. They can actually step in and actually do a pretty decent job. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's a probably di- the mo- one of the most dynamic players on defense. But I would love to if, if I would love to have one of our most dynamic players returning the ball. I want to see those players do what they're brought on the team to do. I mean, like, one thank you, Kevin. I I appreciate that, and welcome back to the show. One one thing that I wanted to say is is I had the fortunate experience of when I was at Notre Dame as a grad student, I got to watch Jimmy Clausen. But I also got to watch Michael Floyd and Golden Tate. I cannot imagine Notre Dame versus Michigan or Notre Dame versus Michigan State without Golden Tate. Golden Tate would return punts. And that team would have... He was one of my favorite players of all time. He was so explosive. And we were so blessed to have someone with his explosiveness and his athletic God-given ability. And someone who can just literally swan dive into michigan state's band and just come out you know playing the fife you know like he's you know whatever so like uh, my favorite player of all time the rocket and like i said one of not my okay well my favorite player but rocket too right exactly 
And the fact that Brandon Joseph is returning punts, uh, that just tells me Ryan Mason gets it. Because, like, it, you can't how – do I, how do I put this into words uh, the way I want to? Like, they would throw Kyron Williams back there. They would throw, you know, somebody who could make a play back to return a punt in a situation where it would be like, this would be a great time for a punt return. But here's the thing with punt returns. It's not like – it's not like a closer. It's not like a pitcher. You can't just bring him in going, oh, he's going to strike out the side. Like, the, it's it's a rhythm thing. It's a comfortable thing. You can't just throw him out there and hope that's the one he's going to return the house. Send him back there every time, and then by sheer numbers, eventually one of them is going to hit, right? And Brian Mason gets it. He's putting Joseph back there. I don't know not what if Brian Kelly is your coach, that's for sure. Exactly. I don't know what Joseph can do, but it's not. I'm just going to clarify. My special team point was we can't respect Buckner thinking we're worried about him getting hurt if we're going to put Brandon Joseph back returning punts. I, I think it's the right move if he's the explosive guy. The Paul point with Rocket, we had to have him return punts. I don't know. I think most of us are probably old enough to remember those teams. Those those teams game plan for Rocket. Like yep. he wasn't getting off because they were double and triple teaming him everywhere he went. We had to make every opportunity for him to be explosive by letting him return punts, which he did against Colorado in 91, which yep. there was no holding, by the way. Um, but my point was, if this coaching staff has the mentality, I don't think we replace Brandon Joseph that easily, honestly. I think if he gets hurt, we're in a world of fucking hurt. But if they have the mentality that Brandon Joseph can return punts, then we cannot restrict the way we use Bucker. If his strength and his security blanket is RPO or getting out of the pocket and using his legs, we can't worry about him getting hurt in that fashion. We need to use him in that fashion. Excellent point. I have a question real quick about your stats. Shoot. Um, and you might have this, you might not. Those uh your uh pass attempts touchdowns for pass attempts do you have that number per uh based on ranked opponents no so the only reason i'm asking is because i'm a defensive coach so i feel like the defenses he faced to make those attempts and those touchdowns matters you know what i mean mm-hmm. like that would, would matter a little bit you mean like when book uh threw what 13 touchdown passes against uh, new mexico or whatever it was and whoever and like, oh, look, he threw 30 this year. Actually, he threw like 17. He just threw like 13 of them. Two, two awful teams. So, so, so extremely valid point, and I really appreciate you bringing that up. And this is this is a good, good statistical honesty portion here. So to answer your question, no, it is not. There's no weight given to teams that are ranked like like if you throw five touchdowns against you know a top 10 team like that should matter more than throwing five touchdowns against new mexico right um i have not been able to and i would love to do this don't get me wrong i would love to figure out a mathematical way again i'm i'm an engineer i like numbers and but i'm not a statistician and i would love 
a way to figure out how to take these numbers that I compile and weigh them relative to the strength of schedule. Like for example, and this is, I wasn't really going to talk about this, but you kind of brought this up and it kind of triggered me here uh, in a good way. Not, not like a negative trigger, like, ah, you know, like I got some derangement syndrome here. No, I went through um, when Reese was, I was questioning whether Reese was a good um, offensive coordinator. And I went through and was looking at offensive stats and looking at all the stats I normally do offensive wise, you know, total touchdowns, scoring offense, rushing touchdowns, passing touchdowns, etc. I looked at Notre Dame in all of the Kelly era and added up what their rank was at the end of the season, added it up and gave them a score. Now, I also recorded the strength of schedule just as a reference, but I also didn't uh, necessarily like like there was nothing I could do with it. Like it's like, well, there it is, but it doesn't like weigh into the formula. All I do is like say okay in 2019 under chip long as our oc notre dame was 18th in the country in total touchdowns 13th in the country of scoring offense etc i add all that up and we get a score of 327 i said to some people on twitter and i won't name them because i don't want to be rude or mean but they were saying that the 2015 season the offense was was great and if I do the same math for 2015, we were 32nd in the country in total touchdowns, 34th in scoring offense, and 30th in rushing touchdowns with CJ ProSize, etc. Now, and when you add it up, you get 426. So it's actually not even close to being behind 2019. And actually, the best, if you just add up all this stuff, is 2017, right? My point was this. Strength of schedule was one of the best or hardest in 2015. We were 17th in strength of schedule. In 2019, we were 37th. Last year, 43. So, so I don't. I haven't figured out a way to mathematically isolate and weigh better opponents or weigh our score relative to, um, you know, other teams. Now, what I ha have done and what I feel more confident in is just saying, okay, who's the team holding the trophy because they ultimately reach the finish line. Also, coincidentally, because they are playing in the championship game, they typically are winning their conference, right? And they've beaten everybody and their a margin of defeat of their opponents is, is usually really high on average, right? Sagarin always, except for one year in 2002, every team that wins the title has the number one strength of schedule per Sagarin. So I don't really ignore the fact that you're right, Kevin, where you say like, well, you know, five touchdowns against scrub opponents doesn't mean anything and versus the other team. I'd rather look at not so much the rank because last week I talked about ranking and how it's kind of bullshit until like quarter of the way of the season quite frankly um i'd rather look at the value the actual number the actual watermark you know how many touchdowns should we score this season 80 how many passing touchdowns should we throw 41 how many points should our defense allow on average 15 or less 
those are the numbers of the national champions who also have the best strength of schedule. And if we're at that or under that or within the standard deviation, that's the stuff we're talking about. So you're not wrong when you when you talk about that kind of thing. So I don't know. I'm sure some people have just drifted off to sleep or started scrolling Twitter. We can work on your Excel algorithm. <laughs> Well, like I work with some smart people at work and there, uh, there's one guy who I was just like kind of talking about this a little and he was kind of interested, but like, this wasn't a work related topic, obviously. And so it's like, you know, maybe we could come up with some sort of like new math here, but then it sounds like I'm trying to write the new BCS, you know, formula calculator here. And that's not what I'm trying to do. So, (laughs) and, and quite frankly, no, no other show is doing what I'm doing. And I was criticized because I actually brought facts and data because I, I, I won't, again, I'm not going to say who it was, but I jumped on a Twitter space and they were talking about how 2015 was so great. And I said, no, it wasn't. Look at the numbers compared to 2019. We threw our offensive numbers were better relative to other teams in the country. Yes, the strength of schedule was worse, but just the numbers were not better. And the response I got was, why are you looking at data? literally that was the response i got and i'm like okay well i'm not gonna be rude i'm a guest here you know in someone else's house so (laughs) anyway anyway let's move on i think that's that's one of the nice things about this show is we separate our fandom which is very emotionally driven with some statistical analysis that gives us some some basis and well i've lost my shit before on this show i mean yeah, well, it, it grounds our expectations, but it also grounds, you know, the those achievements and those goals st- stretching forward. I mean, the nice thing about this is we'll be able to analyze as the games are played the numbers and see a difference that, you know, Marcus Freeman really does have on the team, what Brian Reese really looks like unleashed from BK and yep. how effective is Tyler Buckner you know, in an RPO versus, you know, Jack Cohn and, you know, other people with lead cement shoes. So it'll be interesting to see how it all translates to the statistics and how well that propels the team, you know, toward that national champion average. Yes, for sure. Now, I wanted to look at one more thing for Drew Pine before we go exclusively with Buckner in this last little piece I want to talk about. With Drew Pine, a lot of people fell in love with him because, let's face it, what was the scenario? Shamrock Series in Chicago, right? Uh, House of Pain, everyone jumping around, okay? And he comes in and does this swagger, hand-waving, you know, whatever kind of vibe. Like he's had a couple of uh, gin and tonics, you know, in the bar, and he sees his buddies and like, hey, what's up? He comes in in the latter half of the third quarter. And the reason why that happened is because Buckner was already injured. And Cone, you know, I, I don't remember the, remember the details, but but he, he was shaken up. And so we had to put Pine in. So his first series, like, okay, we go like eight play or six plays, 40 yards, and then we punt. The next series he comes in, he fumbles on the first play of his second series. Okay, and it's around this time that the game is tied. Wisconsin then kicks a field goal 
and they go up 13 to 10 at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Now, right after that, we have the Tyree return. Do I need to play it? Should I replay it? We should just replay it. Of course, we're going to replay it. I'm not, I don't know this queued up, but. Oh, wrong folder. Damn it. Uh, This is bad radio. I know. So, so that is why, you know, we won that game. That play was a momentum shift. Right after we fumbled the ball, they kick a field goal on the ensuing, you know, points after turnover, right? And then we do that shit. Then right after that, Wisconsin has a forced fumble from Jason Amiola and is recovered by Foskey. In the ensuing possession, then is when Pine starts doing his swagger shit. Because he throws a 16 pass, 16 yard pass to Kevin Austin in the fourth quarter. That drive was six plays and 46 yards. The next series, Wisconsin comes in, and it's the last like attempt really of them. They go down, they miss their field goal. Then a three and out punt by Notre Dame. Then two plays by Wisconsin, the interception by Cam Hart, and then four four yards by Notre Dame total with a door field goal and then back to back Notre Dame pick sixes. So if you really want to look at those, the production of pine in the context of that Wisconsin game that everyone's like, Oh, look at pine from the Wisconsin game. It's one series. We went 46 yards and he had a 16 yard pass to Kevin Austin. He ended up finishing the game six of eight, 75%. It's not bad but only 81 yards and one touchdown, but a QBR of 69. That's not good, Bob. That's not good. And we don't have anyone named Bob. I I think that definitely goes to the testament of him being the, uh, the third on the depth chart. So it it definitely is adding some, some weight (laughs) to that. So, yeah, exactly. So I kind of want to close the book on Drew Pine as being the possibility for the starting quarterback job this year because really there's no question based off of that sample size of Pine that should convince me that the upside of him versus Buckner is better. I, I don't see it. Okay. No, definitely not. And I mean, it, it, each season builds upon the previous. So if we're looking at QB2 now taking the reins at QB1, ideally Pine should be QB2 with the experience that he had. Based only on experience, yep. And that's that's kind of the natural progression of it because Pine has some experience where Angeli has none. So based on the spring game, we all thought Angeli looked the best of what we saw. And... It's, it's, again, practice. All of that's going to determine, you know, the, the final, you know, tier ranking for the three. Obviously, I think TB12, we don't have a lot to, to go on besides last year. But the hope 
and you know kind of as five foot pod was saying is that we really don't have a lot of sample size to be excited but yet at the same time you know we gotta kind of trust the process so to speak. oh don't so. say trust the process <laughs> do not say trust the process that is a, such a kelly bullshit expression please do not say that. hey hey saban used it not too long ago saban has like more rings than he has fingers on his right hand well and that's what i'm saying so if, if he can be he can say whatever the guy. fuck he wants okay <laughs> <laughs> Within reason, right? You know, nothing inappropriate, right? But, like, you know what I'm saying. Like, I trust... Exactly. Like, I trust Saban. Okay, Tr- trust the natural progression from one season building on to the other. Right, exactly. Ooh, uh, man. I th- we've seen glimpses of Buckner and what he's capable of. Um, you know, haters and detractors and glass half-empties will focus on the negative things Buckner did because he did have some negative plays. He was also a true freshman who also hadn't played football his entire senior year because it was taken from him because of COVID and part of his junior year because it was taken from him because of injury. So I, and you could argue I'm making a bunch of excuses. I'm I'm finding ways around uh, avoiding that he didn't play well at moments, but the fact of the matter is he showed signs of the feeling he has and we, I've seen enough to be confident, but at the same time, I haven't seen enough to think it's a lock that that's who he is. It's just, but it's in, you can't go either direction. You can't be like, oh, well, you know, he had good moments, so he's good. Oh, he had bad moments, so he's bad. I, I don't know. It, we don't know. I just know that if he's capable of doing it, he's capable of doing it a lot. So. And the other thing that I trust is being an alumni from Ohio State, knowing, you know, what is waiting for him on game day. I think Marcus Freeman has spent a lot of time with him and a lot of time, you know, with the team in general, getting them ready to play, you know. And and I think that's going to be another ace in the hole for this because there is experience, you know, in that environment yeah i think i think coach freeman is in a better position to prepare not only buckner but the rest of the team to go into the horseshoe and be in a position to to be successful against ohio state i mean that that is my honest opinion about all of that so um you guys talked about Buckner and how his stats were. Uh, he didn't have a senior year because of COVID. And I, since we don't have the greatest sample size of him in at, in college at Notre Dame, I did go and look at his high school stats. Now, just go with me on this. I wanted to look at Buckner in his best year in high school. And I will compare him to another quarterback who I have in the past made reference to that Buckner reminds me of this other guy. Does anyone know who that is? We've hinted at it before. Is Johnny Manziel. 
I want to look at Buckner relative to Manziel in high school. Now, Buckner's best season, his junior year, obviously. First off, he was a four-star recruit, okay, versus Manziel, who is a three-star recruit. Nationally ranked Buckner, and this is 24-7, he was 71st nationally in all for, of all players, where Manziel was 374. At his position, Buckner was 11th, Manziel 13th. Now, in their best seasons, like, you know, senior year, junior year, whatever, Buckner had 53 touchdowns passing, Manziel had 45. Buckner had 4,474 yards in one damn season versus Manziel's 3,609. Completion percentage, Buckner 66%, Manziel 65%. Attempts per touchdown, Buckner 7.58. Seven to eight times he throws the ball, it's for a touchdown. Manziel is a little worse, 7.71. Now the touchdown to interception ratio is better for Manziel, 9 versus 8.83. But touch yards per attempt... 11.13 yards per attempt for Buckner, 10.4 for Manziel. Now, it doesn't stop there. I also looked at rushing. Their rushing yards are very close to each other, and their rushing touchdowns are very close. Manziel had 30 versus Buckner's 28. Rushing yards, 16.74 to Manziel versus Buckner's 16.10. But Manziel had 170 attempts versus Buckner's 128. So on average, you kind of normalize that by the sample size. Attempts per touchdown. Buckner, 4.57 attempts, rushing attempts, he scores a touchdown. Manziel, 5.67. Yards per carry. Rushing. Buckner, 12.58 yards per carry. Versus 9.85. Mic drop. So I'm getting really excited about Buckner if I just look at what he did in high school. Because Manziel comes into and plays and he's let go and released. And they're the reason why Alabama was number two going to that BCS championship game. Because they are the ones who... Texas A&M is the only team that gave Alabama a loss in 2012. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Now, is Tyler Buckner Johnny Manziel? Probably not, because he didn't steal the starting job away from Cone and didn't blow Kelly's mind. But let's face it, Kelly is Kelly's Kelly. So uh, does that mean a whole lot? I don't know. Um but there's something else I wanted to look at unless someone wants to jump in and interrupt me here. No, I, would, you know, I was just saying MJ that. 84 cared about your Manziel talk. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. I, said, I think MJV 84 cared about your Manziel talk. I'm surprised she hasn't jumped on. I mean, you know, I guess I'll invite her to speak. I don't, she can request to speak if she wants, but yeah, that's right. Cause Manziel went to the Browns. Now I don't know what he did there other than, uh, really? Are you, please tell me you're being sarcastic. I don't watch the NFL. You know this. 
Okay, well, he did more off-the-field stuff than on-the-field stuff. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about football here. I'm not talking about his off-field shenanigans. That's the the problem, though. He did nothing with the Browns on the football field. (laughs) I was actually going to request an analysis comparing him to RG3. Who, Buckner? Yeah. Oh geez, I I don't I have the numbers for RG three. Let let me go through the Manzel numbers here real quick, and then while I'm looking that up, if MJV eighty four wants to unmute herself to talk about her opinion of Manzel at the Browns. I just have to say that I am so impressed that you took so much time to do any kind of research on Johnny Manzel. Versus any player whatsoever. Well, it, it was not to to appeal to the Browns fan base. I will say that. Um, but but what I will do, what I do, what I have done is looked at every quarterback for gosh, at least a decade, and and definitely going back to Manziel, who has either won the title or won the Heisman. Now, not every you know, quarterback or not every Heisman goes to a quarterback, right? So it's kind of held her skelter there. But because Manziel won the Heisman and he did get it the year that Manti Teo, the last, you know, Notre Dame player that was kind of worth a crap in the Heisman talk, right? So that that's there's a little bit of a sting with that with, with Notre Dame fans, right? But and don't get me wrong, Manziel was amazing in twenty twelve and do I like the the you know result? No. Um, but I, I said to the doc this week after I watched the documentary about, you know, Manti Teo and the, you know, the catfishing thing that was on Netflix, I, I said to her, I'm like, you know, say he had won the Heisman, would that have just been even more of a crazy, you know, horse fuckery circus? You know what I mean? Like, it already yeah. was crazy enough. So, so, and, and that's not to say like, you know, just because someone is dishonest and lies to someone who genuinely has a good heart and thinks the best of people and, you know, clearly his emotions were manipulated. Now, was he naive? Probably. Um, but again, I wasn't there and I'm not him and I will never be Manti Teo because he can, you know, eat my face off, but he won't do that because he's a really nice guy. Um, he doesn't go on other Twitter spaces and call people morons because they don't look at stats, but he's also probably not looking up Johnny Manziel's stats either. So red snapper was looking at Robert Griffin, the third, or was curious about RG three. Um, let's see here. Yards for completion is better for RG three attempts for touchdown is better for RG three. Touchdowns per game, touchdowns to a temp ratio is better. Touchdown interception rate. Yeah, no, that's not a good comparison. Robert Griffin the third is significantly better than Buckner in the passing. Well, maybe the twenty twenty two version of Buckner will be comparable. One can hope because, and that would be interesting to look at Robert Griffin the third in say two thousand ten, before his Heisman season. How how well did he do? I don't know the answer to that. But I wanted to finish with Manziel because I've compared Buckner to him in the past just because they're both so quick. And and Robert Griffin III, I felt like was more like, not like Vince Young, but kind of more like um, Marcus Mariota. 
Um, they just had kind of more of a confidence about them, and they were kind of bigger guys. Where Manziel was this like kind of this scrawny white dude, but just was killer fast and had a decent arm, you know. Um, and kind of a cool nickname. I'm sorry, Johnny Football. That's kind of a cool nickname. That's just my opinion. I'm not from Texas, right? Like five foot nothing pod. Well, he's a resident of Texas. I think he's from New Jersey, right? But um <laughs> correct that's right recognize okay um but manzel okay he had a better completion percentage and clearly through 3700 yards right you know scrooge mcduck in the money bin here in 2012 but his yards per completion is less than buckner buckner last year is 14.2 manzel 12.6 yards for every completion touchdowns per attempt it took manzel 16.69 attempts on average for every touchdown he threw whereas buckner was 11.67 national champions on average is 12.4 okay so so that's really good if you really think about that um and then for all the games and all the all the time that buckner got in his it interceptions per game was 0.3 versus Manziel was 0.7. Now his touchdown interception ratio isn't very good, but the numbers are what they are. So, so that's, that's kind of the breakdown there, but it doesn't stop with passing. What do we talk about? RTDB. We talk about rushing Buckner. Yes. He only had 46 rushing attempts. Manziel had 201 for 1410 yards. Yikes. But Buckner, on average, still averaged more yards per rush, i.e. pocket breaks down and you run, 7.3 versus Manziel's 7. Attempts per touchdown, okay, it's not better. But his attempts per game, 4.6 versus Manziel's 15.5, right? So if we're just looking at yard points, on average, Buckner's going to get you there, and if your your quarterback is responsible for delivering the ball and for moving the chains down the field, if you're getting third downs because you're averaging 7.3 yards for every time you run the football, man, that's that's something to feel really, really, really good about. By the way, Robert Griffin III, his uh, yards per attempt average 3.9. The, the only thing I'll, I'll put in there, do we know, because uh, I, I don't know how the classes work in California, but I know someone in this chat who might. Uh, Manziel did play 5A football, which is the highest class you can play here in Texas. And I've heard that Buckner's competition wasn't quite the highest of the high out in California. Did, how would his competition compared to say a Manziel who played five, a football in Texas red snapper. Do you want to answer this one? That's what I was kind well, of. Well, first, how do you quantify the competition in Texas versus the competition in California? Could say Texas is the best competition in the country. There are people that will dispute that. And I think there's schools in, in California that would also agree with that statement. Um, that it, it's kind of 
within your state, what is your competition, who do you play, and the rankings and divisions. That's all different, you know, concept, I guess. So I, I think that's the first preface point. But from there, it would definitely be, I would say, comparable from where Buckner came from. But at the same time, it, it's it's based on what was his competition and how he played. And well, I, I well, I'm not, don't know. I'm not saying average, you have to you have to look at. Uh, like within California, was he playing the highest level of competition possible? No. Okay. No. That, that... Uh, and, and here's why. So, so California is so big, and and the state is so large that you know, and and so is Texas, right? So you know, I'm not. Yeah. You know, Texas is bigger, obviously. But my point is, the way California is divided up with, like, they start only recently really started having like state. And it's really you take the best team from the south and then the best team from the north and they play, right? Um, and that used to not be the case. Like when I was in high school and so was Red Snapper, that was not the case. Now, Red Snapper went to Modern Day, who is in the elite of the elite uh, divisions. And they've kind of changed things around. Um, it used to be called Division One back in the day. Um, I went to Damien High School, which is like Division Two or something. And so the only time that like my high school would ever have played modern day, Red Snappers High School, would have been like preseason. But like in conference play or league play, you know, you have your five teams that you play every year, right? That's within your division. And then based on that is, you know, how you go to playoffs, right? That's how high school works. But Buckner is not even in that in that same like group of like, 10 divisions okay he is from like the southern like san diego section of what's called cif because he went to bishop's high school in la jolla outside of san diego so they have like their own thing like san diego and like like the desert south desert of of uh of california and and probably even like tijuana high school no that's a joke but (laughs) (laughs) but but like so so he's in a completely different scenario now it is possible that tyler buckner's high school or one of those other high schools in the san diego area could play a modern day um a servite you know st john bosco whatever in the preseason before their league play and that's perfectly fine and you're seeing this all over like you can you come friday right this friday you turn espn or bally's sports network or whatever on you will see, you know, this big, you know, like IMG Academy in Florida versus, say, Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, right? That kind of stuff is happening. Manzel went to TV High School or Tyvy, T-I-V-Y, in Caraville, Texas, which is like yeah. nor- northwest of San Antonio, right? Yes. Just You're impressed. I actually did I did some research on this, right? Because I knew this would come up. I I don't know. See, see, I this is this is like apples to oranges. Like, just as I'm trying to make some sort of projection about Buckner's success this season by going back to one level down in high school, I'm also doing it with Manzel. But see, it's apples to apples because it's like, look, this guy who was a freshman that no one knew anything about and was dangerous, like Maverick, and probably snorting cocaine too. 
please Buckner don't do what Manziel did with the Browns. But my point is, in high school alone, with the competition, like like I'm not gonna fault Buckner because his parents are the ones who sent him to Bishop's High School in La Jolla. They're the ones who sent and I him think here. The other thing to look at that's kind of unifying is what was their recruitment ranking, and that that takes into right. consideration competition. That takes you know level of play, but really it. It, I think that's a good unifying factor. What made Manziel a three-star versus Buckner a four-star? So right. I mean, like 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 Jimmy Clausen is another great example. You know, he went to like Thousands Oaks High School or where the hell he went, right? Oaks Oaks Christian Academy. Wow, well, never even heard of that, right? <laughs> like that's my point, right? And he got all these rings for all these championships, right? But it's like, who was he playing? What was his competition? But he was still the number one recruit in the country, right? So that's my point where it's like, well, hold on a second. Like, are you going to now say that, like, we didn't want Jimmy Clausen? No, you're not going to say no, that. We wanted Charlie Wise to recruit defense also. Well, he was just a garbage coach anyway, but. <laughs> that's what we wanted. So it was Kelly. All right. Yeah, we, we've satisfied our, our quota here. So of, uh, of Kelly bashing uh, tonight. No, so I, I didn't mean to send you down a, some sort of rap. I was just. It, uh, curious to you know. Can, if, no, that's okay. I knew you were trying to entrap me. That's perfectly fine. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was just curious because I know, I know where Menzel played. Not like I played against them or whatever. I just knew that they were five A, which is the highest mm-hmm. level of high school football in Texas. I know I'd heard about Buckner's level of competition, maybe not being the highest possible in the state. That was kind of on my only question or curiosity about that whole thing. Right, but it's dads and they are impressive i'm surprised you know, kevin's just... not jumping on here he's he's a high school coach and i think he's he can provide some valuable insight into the the high school realms but he's on mute so that's perfectly fine so so then well, why don't we compare last year's heisman winner you're gonna have to repeat that <laughs> you like sounded like you were in space there, Red Snapper. Um, hey, Joe, uh, are you, is this going to be live tomorrow? I can catch the end of this because I do have. Where uh, we will be going on uh, podcast version, so you can catch the end on the podcast version. Cool. Well, dude, thank you for having me. I do got to get going, but uh, you guys have a great night, and I might have an episode coming out before the end of the week. So. We look forward to it, and we will happily plug your show. You can do your typical outro right now. Go for it, and then we'll hand it over to Kevin. Five foot nothing, hundred nothing, out. Nice. All right, there's five foot nothing pod. Uh, Kevin, I saw you wanted to jump on there, but wanted to give let five foot nothing have his uh, sayonara there. No, I was just gonna say the comparison of Johnny Manziel to Tyler Buckner. Uh, when it came, especially when it comes to ranking and a lot of those things, and comparison who they play. I think when they rank and do all this stuff, it's not based on who you play, right? So it's based on certain metrics of your mechanics and things like that that gets you ranked and get you play certain places. So Buckner being higher ranked than Manziel is more than who he played, right? It's more than he threw all these touchdowns. Like like he was saying, like you can play these garbage teams and throw a million touchdowns, but there's more to it. Mechanics, readability, movement. There's a lot of things that factor in. And California has some stuff teams uh, regards to where we're in California. So, no, no, Texas is considered Mecca, 
But um, California is a lot of number nationally ranked teams came from the California area. So, yep. I think I think the comparison to Manziel is a pretty good one, actually. That that was the intent, and I appreciate that. Um, I was trying to just come up with something, and last year that was my knee jerk reaction, and I I genuinely wanted to look at the numbers, but comparing the two guys, and that's what I came up with. So. But yeah, um, and I'm not gonna. I brought up Drew Pine stats from high school. It there is no comparison. I wanted to double check myself with that to make sure Drew Pine did not have some amazing season out of New Canaan, Connecticut. No, um, his best season is not even close to the other two. So we can definitely put that one to bed. That is pretty much all I got from a statistical standpoint, everyone. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the five foot. No, no this is not the five foot nothing pod because he just. He... <laughs> well, we did a live show with him once before and he was on for so long. It, it's it's basically like he was our co-host again. We, we were happy to have uh, Eric Parsegian on earlier. Um mjv84 jumped on just for her her little bit you know like we we don't have a whole lot of cleveland browns talk and and i'm certainly now if jason yeager was on he'd probably have some brown stuff to talk but um yeah for someone who doesn't really watch the nfl and if i'm gonna really pick a team it's probably not gonna be the browns sorry um but i don't live in cleveland um hunter heisley is listening welcome sir you're invited to speak if you so wish uh Oh, no, scared him off. That's <laughs> that happens. People are like, no, 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 no. I just I think people are curious. So uh, I guess we'll go around the horn. If anyone else wants anything to say. Red snapper. Uh, I, I think, honestly, TB12 is just right now a big question mark. And until we see some some series, you know, and see progression or fingers crossed, not failure. Um, that we, we see really, I mean, a lot of questions being answered. How does Marcus Freeman captain his ship? How does, you know, Reese navigate an offense, you know, at his own discretion now? And how do we have all of these elements combined to make TV 12 the most successful possible? And all of that is going to be clearly a very, you know, ebb and flow organic thing through the course of the season, you know, and connections with receivers and how much did they favor the run versus the pass or vice versa. All of that is sitting in the balance of this. And I think that's kind of where everyone's, you know, anxiety comes from this season. And, and yes, it's exciting because it's a brand new era on, of Notre Dame football, which is great. It is. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's not forget. We are less than two weeks away. What is it? Week 12 days, 11 days out from Notre Dame taking the field against Ohio state. And I appreciate that we have kind of avoided that topic of talking about Ohio state because we will clearly only be talking about that next week, uh, leading up to the game. It'll be game week. But it is, it's getting close. And there is a lot of optimism, a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, Kevin, Irish, JTL, MJV84. If anyone else wants anything to say, 
final thoughts uh, before I do my final epic uh, closure here. If Dave wants to jump on, that's cool, but uh, we're about two hours in, and I've, I've hit the end of my notes, so if no one else is going to speak... Nope, just keep the stats, just keep the stats coming. I like oh, okay. it. My, I'm glad my my attention to detail and stats and analytics is not turning you off like some other shows. <laughs> okay. Well, no, since you've analyzed the quarterbacks that have either won a championship or a Heisman, how was last year's Heisman in recruitment ranking versus uh, TB12? You know, I I would I do not have that in front of me. I would have to look up Bryce Young uh, relative. I'm pretty sure he was like the number one or two recruit. Um, I know him and DJ Uyunglele like were, you know, going back and forth, and which is kind of funny because one went to Clemson, one went to um, Alabama, right? Um, I know they were really close. Um, I know in their senior year, DJ Uyunglele and St. John Bosco ended up winning CIF over uh, your uh, high school red snapper. So um, I'm going to go on a limb and just say that uh, from a ranking standpoint, that Bryce Young was better. Um, And that's just my knee jerk reaction. Um, I have not looked at the numbers and broken down, you know, all of that stuff and the, I mean, this this is like literally the most into recruiting I've ever got because I've always compared Buckner to Manziel uh, last year and saying like, look, we need this guy. So we've we've kind of talked about him. We've compared him to Maverick, um, and um, I hear I see Dave. I know Dave wants to speak. He's on mute, but you know maybe he's still checking transmission parts or whatever he checks, but. <laughs> I know his drive shafts, his drive shafts. Yeah, we are getting close to the end here, everyone. And um, last little bit here uh, I'm going to I'm going to leave you with is we have a lot to look forward to this season. We're really excited. I have purposely not talked about Buckner at all this season, really in any of these shows, because I wanted to save it for tonight. And I think the reason for that is because, look, forget all this bullshit in the past about Kelly. Forget lead feet cone. Even Ian Book. I love Ian Book, but Ian Book was not the dynamic guy. Buckner is that dynamic guy. I am so excited about this guy to take the field. And I've never been more confident in a new quarterback going forward than I have since the beginning of the 2015 season when we had and we knew that Malik Zaire would be coming in. Now, unfortunately, he got injured, but we went into that first game against Texas and we killed him. I'm not saying Buckner's going to go into the horseshoe and kill Ohio State. I would love that. I would love for him to pull the e-brake and shoot missiles or switch the guns because he's too close, right? But he is Maverick. You send Maverick in against the MIGs. The MIGs that will be Ohio State. I don't really have a firm opinion about Ohio State because we haven't played them very often. But in the interaction I've had with those dicks on Twitter this past week... (laughs) 
I want to beat them, and they're approaching a hate level with Miami fans, and that says a lot about me. Ohio State is a bunch of dicks right now in my mind. Unfortunately, they keep winning, and Ryan Day is a very successful coach. And our coach, though an alum of Ohio State, and I do think he will prepare our team, I think he has the tools in his toolbox to prepare our team and our quarterback, the leader of the ship, the leader of the offense, the explosive, dynamic quarterback that is Tyler Buckner. He can go in there. He can do it. Believe in this. Put all your chips on the on the table, on the poker table. We started with that metaphor before. Slide him in. We're all in. We're all behind you, Tyler Buckner. If he's listening, he's probably not. But let's do this. This guy can make this season. He has thrown crazy amounts in high school. He's finally now given the chance to do that. So let's go in there and do it with Tyler Buckner. This is the Fighting Irish Faithful Podcast. I am Joe at Faithful underscore Irish signing off. Good night.